Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. And, and these were companies like Google, uh, uh, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and Salesforce.com. The biggest learning was the, the common characteristic amongst all these fantastic businesses, exemplar businesses, was they very actively and deliberately worked on their culture. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Keith Jackson. Keith's the CEO of Brandon Medical. He joined me recently to delve into the realms of leadership, culture and purpose. Keith is a strategic and highly accomplished senior director, possessing more than 30 years in business. He's worked around the world building international relationships in countries including China and Japan. He's a chartered mechanical engineer by trade, a chartered director and was IOD UK Director of the Year in 2016. Keith is also a visiting professor at the University of Sheffield and is inspiring the next generation of engineers. Keith joins us today to share his insights on what it takes to be a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Keith. It's really good to have you with us. Yeah, hello. It's nice to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing a bit more about your story. So first of all, then, first question, can you tell us a bit about the organisation you lead, please? Yes. So that's Brandon Medical, where I'm mm-hmm. CEO, um, based in Leeds. Um, the company design, manufacture, install and service very specialised equipment that's used in operating theatres and clinics in more than 70 countries. Wow. Uh, it's a very innovative business. Uh, we're increasingly developing smart technology that's interconnected mm-hmm. uh, and bringing that to bear um, to treat uh, and help to treat more patients worldwide. Fantastic. And you've been there leading the business for the last five and a half years, there or thereabouts? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Uh, and in that time, um, I'm really proud that the, the team have managed to win two additional Queen's Awards. So that makes three in total now. Fantastic. One for innovation uh, for, uh, and, and one for um, international trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, yeah, so serving 70 countries, my goodness, that's uh, for serial exporters, Brandon Medical, into yeah. some interesting countries across the world. Yeah. Fantastic. And so in that kind of organisation, leading that kind of uh, uh, business, what kind of challenges are you up against as a leader at the moment? I think, uh, yes, there's been a a huge jolt, hasn't there, for many businesses, especially Mm -hmm. small and medium-sized ones in the last few years with uh, the COVID pandemic, um, then the subsequent supply chain disruption. Mm -hmm. uh, We've got increased inflation and the pressures that that brings to bear. Um, Quite a bit more churn in uh, employee uh, in the employee market. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, all of that, um, I think, requires organisations to not just be more resilient, but actually more agile. Yes. Uh, to adapt, to adjust, uh, to try and do things differently. Uh, mm-hmm. And actually, I'm quite fortunate in that the team I lead are quite innovative, and that innovation isn't just about products, it's actually about all the things we do. So that sort of continuous improvement mindset of, of doing different things to navigate those challenges mm-hmm. uh, has been uh, is actually been part of the reason why we, we're still here and we're doing yeah. really well. Yes. Good, glad to hear it. And, and so obviously I was having a look through your, your background and you're a design engineer by 
by training originally. Right at the beginning, yes. Yeah. So at uh, the very beginnings of my career, I decided to, to go into engineering and mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to be sponsored by Jaguar Cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my career path, uh, right in those early days, was a design engineer at Jaguar. It's not quite as glamorous as it sounds. <laughs> so I, was, I wasn't doing the, um, the, the, the artistic piece of, of design, as, as I did, probably did as a child, drawing sort of, you know, sports cars. It was actually things under the bonnet that most people don't see. Okay. But nevertheless, uh, it was a, a very good grounding. I was on their management development program and worked my way around the business, lots of different departments, seeing how the whole thing knits together to create value mm-hmm. and learned a huge amount. Um, so, yes, a design engineer uh, was right at the beginnings of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's never left me. Uh, I think that, that plays to one of my passions about innovation and actually trying to do different things, create value to solve customers' problems ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, well, so that was going to be one of my questions. I was going to ask how much you sort of draw upon that experience and that innate skill set of problem solving that comes with engineering as a leader in an organisation that's moving so quickly through the fog of, you know, whatever we've been dealing with since 2020 and and before. Do you think that that supports you? I think it does. And I think a lot of engineers would say similar things. Um, Mm -hmm. It is a double-edged sword, though. So I think engineering uh, or an engineering mindset um, teaches a sort of a problem-solving approach, you know, to be Mm -hmm. systematic, to be logical, Mm -hmm. rational, data-driven, all these things that are are quite positive. But on the flip side of that, I think what some engineers might struggle with is when you're faced with lots of ambiguity. And I think as leaders... Yeah. We're often faced yeah. with ambiguity. We haven't. We've got incomplete information, um, and sometimes we have to sort of use our judgment to navigate through that. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, uh, the, the sort of uh, volatility, the uncertainty, um, mm-hmm. risk, mm-hmm. ambiguity are all things that leaders have to navigate. And, and you know, sometimes you, you have to make decisions based on incomplete information. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think sort of that grounding in engineering and the engineering principles about solving problems, but importantly. Using yeah. cross-solving problems that then create value is is yes. an important bedrock of who I am and how I try to approach things. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And I guess dealing with the uncertainty that we're up against at the moment, you're just almost accelerating that problem-solving skill set, aren't you? Sort of, it's it's coming at you quick and fast, and you have to solve the challenges. So I suppose it's still that engineering mindset when you're dealing with ambiguity. It's just you've got to move quickly. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I think particularly in, in small, medium-sized enterprises, mm. you know, you need to be the speedboat. You're, you're not. Yep. You're not the super tanker. So um, that agility is even more important to create competitive advantage when you're up yeah. against some quite large incumbents. Uh, yeah. You have very uh, optimised process, talent, pipelines, um, mm. innovation programs, and actually, yeah, that agility is really important to uh, sort of differentiate yourself and, and make sure that you're competitive. Yeah. Absolutely. And so you mentioned your leadership career and that you started, you were on the management programme, you said, didn't you, at JLR. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit about your journey into leadership? Was it was that intentional? Were you sort of looking for those type of opportunities or did they find you? It, it is. Well, it's always a combination, isn't it? I think mm-hmm. I think some of them did find me, to be truthful. Okay. I think, but it is something I've always, I've always sought out. And I think, um, again, part of my character, I'm always trying to push myself um, outside my comfort zone. I think that's mm-hmm. healthy to do that uh, in a measured and balanced way. Um, so every day, you know, if you need to step outside your comfort zone, you learn, you grow. Um, and actually, you find that you're probably more capable and more resilient than you thought you were. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something I always try to do. And I think, for me, the particular driver behind that isn't about my own personal aspirations it's about people 
Yeah. I think I learned a long time ago, quite early in my career, that business is all about people and everything else is admin. So <laughs> the people may be employees, they may be customers, they may be stakeholders, they may be supply chain partners. It's always about people. So, mm-hmm. so having the sort of um, fluency to be able to interact at all levels of the organization and communicate effectively, and that's more about listening than it is about talking. Mm-hmm. So active listening is, is a really important skill for anybody, but particularly for leaders. I think yes. uh, that, that's absolutely critical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, and, and thinking about leadership then, so some of the things, I mean, clearly everybody has learning experiences during their leadership career or during their career. But one question that I would love to ask is in terms of, imagine there's a blooper reel of your leadership career. What kind of mistakes have you made or are there if i knew then what i know now moments that you could share with us for other people to learn from um yeah well i think the, the biggest learning usually comes from mistakes isn't it or things you <laughs> yeah, didn't often. you didn't work with suboptimum perhaps yeah. perhaps that's, yeah and i think um yeah there, there's a, a mantra isn't there which i'm sure many people have heard which is you, you never fail you either win or you learn mm-hmm. um so lots of learning opportunities along my journey my goodness um i think yeah some of the ones that sort of i, I try and hold at the forefront of mind are quite often uh, the biggest problems are because um people didn't make decisions quickly enough Okay. So I think that's sort of being decisive. Um, I think consultation is important, obviously. So, you know, actually getting, gathering um, different perspectives of, of the issue by talking to different people, particularly those mm-hmm. close to the coalface, those that are actually dealing with the problem, is really important. Um, so I think, yes, I think moving quickly sometimes, and, and I think this is another thing that plays to sort of change models, that there's an appropriate pace. And it isn't the same pace. Mm-hmm. So that sort of demanding pace set a leadership style, I think, is probably a thing of the past. I think what we can do is um, we can demonstrate that we're decisive, but we need to consult others and we need to bring them along rather yes. than race ahead and hope they follow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's certainly one of my key learnings. And, and as I said earlier, I think, you know, it's all about people. So, you know, I, I am not... I hope I'm not the most intelligent or informed person in the room. If I am, I haven't done my job correctly because I've not created the right team around me. Mm-hmm. So I think actually deliberately finding people with complementary skills, with different perspectives, that sort of diversity of thinking is hugely important for businesses, yeah. particularly ones that want to innovate. Yes. I think that's really, so creating diverse teams, making sure everybody feels their voice is heard, make sure everybody feel that they can participate without threat of um, a negative response or, or blame, which is terribly corrosive, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really plays to something else that's a real passion of mine, which is as a leader, the most important thing you need to do is to actually develop in a very deliberate way the culture of the organisation. You know, culture yes. is strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And, and so uh, tell me about Brandon then. So in terms of culture being strategy, how do you keep that alive when you are moving so quickly and you're working across, uh, we're working on projects across more than 70 countries? Are there practical tips you could share? Yeah, and I think I think there's no rocket science here. I think um, these things are, are well uh, documented. There's lots of discourse on them, particularly in more recent times. Mm-hmm. And I think it, 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 it does start with a really strong set of very palpable values. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and these aren't just, and they should never be, warm words. These are actually yeah. things that don't just inform behaviours or yeah. aspirational behaviours, even better, mm-hmm. exemplar behaviours. They actually inform decisions. Yes. And they should be a touchstone whenever, whether it's in the boardroom, whether it's actually on the shop floor, whether it's out with customers, they should inform the decisions we make, mm-hmm. all of us, everybody in the organisation. Uh, and we should be held to account. 
And so I think um, that for me is one of the most important things is, is using values to guide and inform appropriate behaviours, but most importantly, to inform the decisions that we take. So we, we truly live and breathe our values. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You can keep them alive in that way as well then, can't you? If they're uh, used day to day and there's almost a decision tree based on those values, you can keep them alive and they're not just the writing on the wall as they Absolutely. have been previously. Yeah. Well, actually, a couple of a couple of interesting reflections on that. One is that um, for many years now, whenever we have a new employee starting the company, which is always really exciting for me, mm-hmm. um, I think you know, there's a sort of a new dawn, or the, you know, another new dawn, you know, yep. fresh ideas, new talent, uh, different ways of working, different perspectives, new energy. Mm-hmm. That's always really healthy. Um, but I always spend time, I invest time rather, with those individuals to actually make them feel welcome, make sure they feel that I'm, I'm approachable and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm listening and to talk about, so it's a discourse, to talk about our values and what they actually mean in practice. Yeah. And important, I always end that discussion by saying, you know, if you observe somebody who you feel isn't living our values, what do you think you should do? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I get a range of answers, um, but broadly aligned with, well, we shouldn't just accept that. We should perhaps question that, not challenge, yeah. a bit strong, but you know, it's conflictual, but we should question that. And I said, well, if, I, if you observe me doing something that isn't in line with our company values, whatever it may be, please have a conversation with me. I won't bite your head off. I'd be really interested in that observation and I'll yeah. reflect on it um, because we all need to hold each other to account. And if you can hold a CEO to account, you can hold any of you, any of your teammates to account. Uh-huh. I think that's the first observation. I think you have to live and breathe them and you have to hold each other to account. Mm-hmm. And the second observation is actually something I did um, round about 10 years ago in my career. I, I was fortunate enough to be picked for an exchange program. And this was some uh, business leaders of high growth companies that actually spent time in California, in the San Francisco Bay Area, mm-hmm. visiting some exemplar companies okay. and learning from each other. It was bilateral. Mm-hmm. And the biggest learning from all of that, and, and these were companies like Google, uh, uh, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, Salesforce.com. The biggest learning was the, the common characteristic amongst all these fantastic businesses, exemplar businesses, was they, they very actively and deliberately worked on their culture. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an afterthought. This was actually center of their strategy, was develop a really strong, collaborative, inclusive, diverse culture. Yeah. And that was a big learning for me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's the uh, old adage, isn't it? Control your culture, your, control, your culture will control you. Yes. It will evolve. And yeah, absolutely. You want it to evolve, but you have to be deliberate as a leader in shaping it and yes. guiding it in the right direction rather than like uh, rather than just let it flow in a yes. certain direction. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just going back to what you said about people joining the business, it'd be really interesting to get the new employees' interpretation of what those values are. Because when we, when we work with organisations, we help them build out the positive indicators so that they're not just values, but it's how those values are demonstrated by department by department. And it'd be fascinating to understand as new people come into the organisation what their interpretation of the application of your values would be. That well, could be a really interesting conversation. It is an interesting conversation. And I think, again, um, often um, we all have slightly different interpretations of mm-hmm. any, any phrases or words. Yeah. It's natural. And I think actually um, a little bit of spelling out um, in the language of the intended audience, i.e. Mm-hmm. employees at all levels, is yeah. helpful. Um, so some actual examples, real-life examples. And we have a system, uh, and it's something I've, I've developed with, uh, with the previous company I led. We have a system whereby we say, well, this is actually uh, green. This is what we expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is good. This is how we, we see that value being in, um, lived and breathed and, and enacted. We have um, a gold 
So this is exemplar. This is fantastic. Wow, my goodness, if you do that, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, and it would be an example to others. And also, on the flip side, we have red. So um, it's a sort of red, amber, red, gold, <laughs> red, gold, green, rather than red, amber, green. Yeah. Red, gold, green. And so the, the red is, well, actually, if we observe these types of behaviors, that's not helpful. That's pulling us in the wrong direction. And we should, we should question that yeah. um, and maybe then help people to reflect and say, well, actually, that's not appropriate. Um, maybe I had an off moment or an off day and I need to self self-calibrate recalibrate mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's important to have that it sounds as though you've put real investment into building the psychological safety that people can call each other out that they know that, that it, it can be fixed you can have that conversation and you can like you say recalibrate Yes, and I think there's a, again that's a, that's a, my goodness that's an interesting topic psychological safety that's something that's much talked about at the moment um, and I think you know some and, and we're not we're not all made cut from the same block you know not no, everybody is no. the same including leaders so you know I think my another reflection is we're all work in progress yeah um, some leaders are better at um, that sort of balanced measured uh, response um, or understanding of employee interactions and others less so and they need to, it's something they might need to work on mm -hmm. so i think absolutely we should all be able, we should all hold ourselves up to be accountable for for what we achieve but also how we behave and interact with colleagues and and my default setting is not to behave as i would want to or interact as i would want to but how does that person on the receiving end want to interact mm -hmm. with me? And so, so again, that requires, I think, situational leadership. Yeah. So, and that's a skill actually that's quite hard to develop. You know, we, I'm sure we, we, none of us have one setting. You know, as <laughs> leaders, we've learned to have a few settings. But actually, that situational leader piece is incredibly nuanced, incredibly contextual, and, and mm -hmm. actually, um, I think lots of experience, lots of challenges actually, are a good way to hone that. And particularly if you work with diverse teams, that's another way of stretching your your uh, parameters and your ability to uh, enact situational leadership and, and actually be very nuanced. Mm -hmm. um, but it takes time. It's, it's, it's not a skill that uh, you can force. It's, it takes time. It takes experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, well, I'll ask you the question rather than make my statement, but I suppose in terms of leadership styles, you will have your own innate style, but I'm sure that there are different applications organization by organization so brandon sounds like it's very uh, sort of entrepreneurial very innovative and that warrants one style but within other organizations you would have to is it fair to say you'd have to apply a different style or oh yes yes yeah i would say it's very contextual and, and i guess it's not just the organization it's what's the situation within the organization yes. not just where they are on their journey mm -hmm. but also as issues arise um you know sometimes um you might have to be a bit more demonstrative yep. you know and, and the classic example is you know the building is on fire yep. you know so you have to be very directive give very strict um immediate instructions there's no time for discussion or debate on the flip side of that um i'm quite oh, sorry just to, to add a footnote i've never been in a building that's been on fire but that's how i would probably approach it um but so the burning platform scenario yeah. i think the other on the flip side of that when actually you have got time and space to think more laterally and creatively it's that sort of drawing people in encouraging them to vocalize their thoughts and ideas um that you know the only stupid idea is the one that's not spoken mm -hmm. um actually having even if it's naive that's good having yeah. a naive resource in the discussion is really helpful because it actually tests the thinking yeah that's the scenarios so i think you're right it's it's uh, incredibly nuanced but it's achievable and i think that sort of situational leader 
leadership piece isn't just the individual you're interacting with or individuals mm-hmm. it's the context it's the situation i um what's the current issue it's also where that where that company is on its journey and and some things will feel more appropriate than than others depending mm-hmm. where the organization is on its journey absolutely yeah. and i guess the consequence of the the approach as well i suppose if you're in an innovation meeting like you say there is no stupid response there is no stupid idea yeah. whereas if the building's on fire it's the consequence of the decision that you have to make that i suppose adapts your style as well it, it does yes um, and i think yeah particularly coming to innovation if you're trying to be creative if you're trying to surface ideas um that sort of expansive thinking is, mm-hmm. is really important yeah. so almost not questioning or, and certainly not analysing ideas that are surfaced, because that will just stem the flow of ideas. Yeah. But actually yeah. very deliberately having a very expansive, open, fluid conversation, and that frustrates the heck out of some engineers. Yes. <laughs> they say, well, where's this going, or, or what does that actually mean? And yeah. There's a time for that, and it's not now. The time yeah. for what we're trying to do now is surface ideas and, and articulate ideas and help each other to develop our thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a completely separate approach and a completely different mindset is actually then the distillation of that of trying to operate operationalize those that thinking into something tangible yeah that can create and that's a very different thought process and you shouldn't muddle the two up mm-hmm. oh, yes so and i've seen that happen many times so yes it is it's very situational uh, but it is it is a it is a skill that can be honed um yeah. and like many things your hours of practice do help absolutely absolutely and often i suppose it's about communicating the context as well in the situation that you just spoke of making sure that everybody knows why we're in the situation that we're in yes 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 setting the scene yeah absolutely yes and and in terms of people what what you've just spoken to there is the nuance of of leadership and understanding from experience how to adapt to certain scenarios but some of the listeners of the podcast are the leaders of the future people that are just getting started out in leadership or wanting to to develop a career in leadership what advice could you offer them in terms of honing their own leadership style yeah i think um again i think there's a there's a premise there that we we have a style and and i don't think that's true i think we might have a predominant or a default style mm-hmm. um and certainly some truth in that but i think yeah my first suggestion would be is, is rather than um develop your own style your unique flavor mm-hmm. is actually be a chameleon um and i don't mean that in a manipulative way mm-hmm. what i mean is that i think we need to be mindful and we need to be cognizant that you know well, what's the situation who am I interacting with? What's the desired outcome? Is it idea generation? Is it a solution? Is it a emergency fix? Whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And actually very deliberately think about adjusting your style and, and actually pushing yourself to adjust your style. I think that's a really important skill. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, and I think the other thing that I would highlight, um, you know, the earlier in your career, the better, is listen and ask. Yes. Now, far too often, people in leadership positions think that the, the whole room is looking at them and they need to be decisive, they need to be uh, demonstrative, they need to show they're in control. Um, and quite frankly, I think uh, that's okay, fine, if you're in a burning platform or something a similar yeah. type of situation. But for most of the time, 95% plus of the time, that's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. And actually, you'll turn people off. If you're, if you're the most vocal person in the room, uh, how likely is it that the, um, I mean, some people will speak up, but there'll be some actually will feel threatened by that. Yeah. So they won't contribute. They won't participate. They won't be engaged. That's not helpful. That's not doing the leader's job. Mm-hmm. It's good. Really good advice. I often say that, that with regards to leadership, you almost need to 
be a sponge is not the, the best way to articulate it, Keith, mm. but in terms of learn, like start, learn and ask. So learn from all of the leaders and all of the models and all of the books and then put your own spin on it. You have to understand the situation that you're in and the organisation that you're in or the people that you're dealing with or the context that you're you're working within and apply almost, you're the filter for all of that knowledge. Yes, I, I, I concur. I think um, there's a phrase, isn't there, sort of leading from behind or leading from the back. Mm-hmm. You know, the leaders don't have to be in front, helping yep. everyone will follow. Actually, you can be behind supporting the team, helping them to grow, helping them to make decisions um, by asking the right questions. It's not just asking questions, it's asking really good questions yes. to encourage that participation. And, and importantly, not stating your position first. That, I think that's terrible. Don't state your position first. Um, to show that you're in control and then hope that others will then either question it, challenge it, refine it, mm-hmm. develop it, because you're leading the jury. I think yep. what you yep. actually should do is consult the team, particularly those that have got um, tacit knowledge uh, or experience mm-hmm. that's really appropriate to whatever the issue at hand is. And then maybe actually your role then is to sort of almost summarise, say, well, actually what I'm hearing is, or that was a really good point made by so-and-so, um, or mm-hmm. I've not thought of that. And actually on balance, I'm going to suggest that this is what we ought to consider doing. How do people feel about that? You know, um, does that look right? Does that feel right? Mm-hmm. So I think, yes, it's sort of be the guide um, rather than the pace setter. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's good advice, really good advice. And so who were you influenced by, Keith? Are there leaders, past or present, famous or otherwise, that you particularly admire or you've taken something from? Well, yes, I'm sure there is. And and, and um, I thought they're very diverse because uh, I think um, my, my reflection would be you probably learn different things or different elements from different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but complete coincidence, uh, one person that I do admire, um, I actually heard them speak last Thursday. I was at a rugby club dinner in Harrogate, and they were the after-dinner, no, I correct myself, the pre-dinner speaker. Mm-hmm. And that was Sir Clive Woodward. Okay. And part of the reason he was there is uh, it's almost 20 years to the day that England won the Rugby World Cup. That's crazy. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and I can remember exactly where I was when that mm-hmm. happened. And and so um, he actually started his talk by saying, "I don't give after dinner speaks speeches." So I, I, I was then invited to do a pre-dinner speech. Um, <laughs> but he did talk about because of course he's got actually a good, very strong track record in business leadership, mm-hmm. not sports leadership, and and his talk was pretty much around the sort of crossover between the two, the dynamics between the two, which is really interesting. But I, th- but I think actually that there's um, that importance of that sort of, and it, and it does play back to culture, mm-hmm. that importance of that team spirit of that, of, of all wanting to give their best towards a common goal, wanting importantly not to leave anybody behind, mm-hmm. but to support each other, and, and also to play to each other's strengths and support yes. each other's weaknesses. So no prima donnas, you know, we're all yeah. in this together. A uh, common goal, we're all trying to kick the ball in the same direction or move the ball in the same direction. Um, and so I think, yeah, there's there's a lot that, that he's written about um, his particular perspective. Uh, and again, the proof of the pudding is in success, isn't it? And yes. my goodness, the most successful um, coach of the England rugby team there has beaten. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you for that. And you mentioned he'd written a lot. And I'm always really interested to understand what leaders are reading or consuming. So at the end of every year, we create a, a reading list of the human CEO recommendations. So is there a book or a podcast or documentary that you've, you've read or consumed recently that would help some of the leaders that are listening? 
Yeah, um, yeah, I do consume a lot of content. Um, again, I think it's just my inquisitive mind and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, that sort of mantra, really, that we're all work in progress. Every day is a learning day. Yeah. Um, and there is, a, there is a book, actually, that I've revisited, and I don't do that very often, um, mm-hmm. which is The Barcelona Way. And that's by okay. uh, yeah, Damien Griffiths. So, and this is actually, so Pep Guardiola, Barcelona Football Club, weren't that fantastic prior to that era, uh, and then became, you know, in it in their day the the football club mm-hmm. um and again there's a link here with sport and, and lots of lessons for leadership around sport how do you get um very capable athletes to work as a team um yeah. my goodness um so and, and to deliver, deliver the, the needed results lots of parallels with business but in that book um the sort of quick synopsis is it's all about the values and the culture mm-hmm. and, and being non-negotiable and I think that's a phrase that I try and hold uh, true um, and remind myself of. And, and that's one of the reasons I'm revisiting this book. The sort of non-negotiable values. And, and, and ideally, those values are three, the power of three, mm-hmm. and expressed as verbs. So something you do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's a, that's a if, if people haven't come across it, I, I compel you to, to read that or at least maybe get on Blinkist or something similar and listen to a summary of it. Because it's a great book. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you for that recommendation. That one's definitely going on the list this year. Brilliant. And and so challenges for leaders that are coming, uh, challenges that are coming around the corner, sorry, are over the horizon. What do you predict the challenges will be over the next six, nine, 12 months? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a common theme uh, that almost every business or organisation is facing right now, and that's the battle for talent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's twofold. Uh, or even threefold. So one issue is that we've got um, high levels of employment. So people have options, mm-hmm. um, particularly with the cost of living challenges. You know, people yeah. are sort of con- are looking for other opportunities. That's one issue. Mm-hmm. I think the other issue is that we've got a generational shift. So Generation Z um, expect different things from their mm-hmm. career, from their work, than people like me, I'm, I'm Generation X, uh, never mind baby boomers, yep. people who are sort of slightly older than me. Um, and, and I think uh, that plays actually to another important leadership piece, which is around purpose, the importance of purpose. Yes. Uh, it's really helpful. My goodness, maybe that's why I've spent 30 years doing it. Really helpful <laughs> to be in the medical arena because you've got a very tangible purpose. Yes. You know, you're trying to improve patients' lives. Um, which, my goodness, you know, if you want to invest 30 years in a career, well, there's probably not many better places to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that sort of purpose, the battle for talent, having to engage differently with Generation Z mm-hmm. um, are, is a dynamic that's really interesting and also presents some different challenges for businesses. And we've also got a shrinking population. So there are less people in their 20s than in their 30s and less people uh-huh. in their 30s and their 40s. So where are the future leaders? There's going to be less of them. Yes. Yeah. So they're going to have to work in, in different ways and have you know, potentially smaller teams. It's going to be even harder to find the right talent with the right cultural fit with your business. Yeah. So, yes, I think that's a, that's a big issue. Um, and particularly having come through a period of heightened <laughs> heightened uncertainty and, and uh, lots of change the last three years, Yeah. Um, I think, you know, one of the ways in which we need to be innovative isn't just in product, isn't just in marketing. It's no. actually in employee engagement. We need to do different things to engage differently with that talent pool. 
Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Just just going back to what you were saying about the shrinking population, I wonder how that will impact, and I'm thinking off the top of my head here, but in terms of how that will impact the role of almost like a portfolio leader. Mm. So if there are less leaders going to be within the population, I wonder if there will be almost like a portfolio leadership career. Well, quite. And, and I think um, that plays to another issue, which is that sort of expert resource. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to have all the resource within an organisation. No, uh, we no. don't have to have all the talent. We can actually reach out uh, and look for advisors, yeah. consultants, and importantly, if actually you've got good governance, non-executive directors. Yeah. So actually having that expertise, that wisdom, um, that knowledge, uh, sort of to support the business on, in its decision making and in its on its growth journey is probably increasingly important. Um, and there's a little bit of a disconnect there because you know. Sort of, seasoned experienced non-exec directors tend to be uh, about my age um, you know they've been around a bit they've they've seen a lot of things they've, they've met a lot of challenges um they've got lots of experience they've got wide networks um they can be good mentors mm-hmm. but there's there's potentially an even bigger disconnect between people and how they approach the world and how let's say generation z so you know um the younger people in our workforce the less experienced people in our workforce so here's another thing that i've come across recently and, and been really interested in and that's the, the concept of reverse mentoring yes so I I mean, we're all concept. more than familiar with the power the benefit of having an external mentor not mm-hmm. something organization as a as a sounding board as a guide is a critical friend yeah. and, and actually good non-executive directors do that well they do it around mm-hmm. the board table they sort of try to uh, support the growth and the development of the executive yeah. um but i think uh one thing that, that that's interesting is you can then sort of following that concept on you don't have to have one mentor you could have a your own board of advisors mm-hmm. so just as an organization might have a panel of advisors, external people who offer expert support, whether they be lawyers, accountants, um, consultants, specialists, whatever it may be. You can have your own board of advisors. You can have a number of different people you might go to for advice, guidance, input, uh, reflection uh, for different facets of what you're trying to do and what your career is and your life, actually, quite frankly. Um, But the the interesting development that I've come across more recently is the concept of reverse mentoring, where you deliberately have somebody younger than you, not as your mentee, Mm-hmm. as a mentor but a different kind of mentor because you learn different things yeah uh, and i suppose i'm unfortunate i've got three sons uh the eldest which is 22 the mm-hmm. youngest is 17 and and I, I my reflection was i probably do a bit of that with my sons um, yeah. when it comes to things like social media um trying to set up my new iphone yeah <laughs> my, you know they've, they've just got it in an instant so i i do we try and learn from each other and i think that's important to be humble as a leader Yes. Because we can all learn things from everybody we encounter. Everybody. Every single person. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I love the concept of reverse mentor. And actually, there's a couple of organisations that I came across recently that had built the shadow board. So they'd got uh, people from a younger generation earlier in their career Mm -hmm. that were shadowing the board members wherever possible. But in terms of them giving their perspective, and when you're looking at innovation, you're looking at diversity of thought, there's nothing more powerful than bringing people that ordinarily wouldn't have the opportunity to be part of those conversations into those conversations so i'm massively massive advocate of reverse mentoring yeah it's interesting isn't it i think um i have seen that and, and i think uh, there are a lot of uh, a lot of boards or advisory boards that actually use that sort of um i suppose stakeholder ultimately stakeholder representation you know you need a, if, if you're making decisions if, if your role is is to develop the organization to meet the stakeholder needs not not just now but of the future mm. you should have the stakeholder voices in the room even if it's by representation mm. and so one of those stakeholders of course is well what about people early in their career 
Yes. How do they see the organisation developing? What would they aspire to? What would keep them engaged and involved and want to progress their career with the organisation? Mm-hmm. Or people like them. Uh, and then the other thing, reflection there, is about innovation. Coming back to that, that I think it's a useful tool to have naive resource when you're trying to surface ideas because you've got then somebody who knows not a lot about the subject, so they don't, don't tend to you know, run down rabbit rabbit holes mm-hmm. they tend to actually take a bit more of a helicopter view and be asking quite obtuse questions sometimes but it's really good to test the thinking of well, yeah. why are we doing that and what value is it is in that and what customer problem does that help to solve mm-hmm. and so on yeah so that's a naive, more naive less experienced perhaps is a better phrase less experienced resource yeah absolutely and i suppose in some organizations they're also the consumers of the future so from an innovation perspective you're going to be ahead of the game if you're already listening to your future customers when they're looking at your products and services. Well, ab- absolutely. And uh, there's a classic business school case study, isn't there, around, um, do you remember Blockbuster's video? Yes, you I used do. to go to, yeah, yep. usually Sunday evening it was rainy. You'd yep. go to the video shop <laughs> and you'd choose a couple of VHS videos and, and you'd rent them for a week. Mm-hmm take them home and you'd watch them uh, of course everybody streams everything now and there's and actually even even at home if you have videos or, or dvds um I, I do and i rarely i rarely rarely watch them um so we stream and that sort of huge shift in that particular value chain um i do wonder because you know when i when i when i have conversations and the same is true in music and the same is true in, in lots of other things yeah but when i have that conversation with my sons um they can't imagine as I used to do, spending my my pocket money or my hard-earned part-time job money, yeah. you know, rushing to HMV on a Saturday, uh, there are alternatives, and buying my favourite artist's new LP that had just come out and sort of, yeah. sort of clutching that on the bus home. Can't wait to play it on the record player. Yeah. Record dad, yes. Yeah. All of that. And now, actually, it's instant. You know, yeah. we've got on Spotify or, or again equivalents, and you can download that in an instant. The, the, the second it's launched, the second it comes out, and so the way in which we consume that content has changed dramatically. Yes, yeah. Um, and you know, I guess there, there will be wi- people wiser than me that might have foreseen that, um, but I would suspect that actually a lot of younger people have probably already got some thoughts about what might be coming next. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes, it's, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating, and and, and so in terms of. Brendan Medical then, can you tell us about what's coming around the corner in the next six, nine, 12 months that you're particularly excited about? Yes. Um, so again, probably, um, again, a sort of reflection and sort of drawing a couple of trajectories. I think that often the two strongest drivers for growth in pretty much any business, but particularly SMEs, are innovation and export. Mm-hmm. And Brandon's done heaps of that. So Queen's Award, two Queen's Awards for innovation. Uh, one for export. Um, so actually having that pipeline of, of new ideas, new technology, uh, improved products, um, different products, is really, really important. But you need a market. You need somewhere where customers have a problem and your solution will help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the UK is a small island, one of, my own man- one of my other mantras. The UK is a very small island. And so um, you're limited. In, mm-hmm. it's, it's very important to have a strong home market, but you're limited. You know, lots of other countries out there, lots of other opportunity out there, particularly in healthcare. Mm-hmm. So, Brandon Serial exporters, 70 countries, um, lots of interesting places around the world. But a lot of that has been um, opportunistic, or one opportunity has led to another, or an introduction. And actually being a bit more deliberate about that is part of the shift as a company becomes more mature, more established. You, know, you need to start having a balance, a bit like a balanced portfolio of products, a balance mm-hmm. between opportunistic thrust and very deliberate new market entry. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that's really exciting in the next six months or so 
is we've been very deliberate for the last two and a half years in working towards regulatory approvals. These are medical products. Mm -hmm. China, arguably the biggest market in the world for medical equipment. Uh And we've um, very recently been granted that certificate. And we have a fantastic partner in Beijing Mm -hmm. who actually um, builds hospitals, runs hospitals and equips hospitals all over China with lots of different medical equipment. And one of the things they were missing was operating theatre equipment. And thereby comes the partnership with Brandon Medical. So one of the most exciting things uh, looking ahead for the next six months is that very deliberate expansion of our international footprint into China. Um, It's something I've done before. I've done previously, Mm -hmm. um, um, very deliberately, very strategically with previous company. Uh, And I think it's not easy. Um, It's one of the most challenging markets and one of the most competitive markets in the world for all kinds of products. Uh And of course, it's not just the the geographical distance, but actually the culture is very different. Yes. So trying to approach that market and work in partnership with a Chinese company in the same way that you might with, never mind a UK, but a German one or a a Norwegian one, Mm -hmm. um, won't work. And, and it, it's something I've spoken about a number of times for um, the Department for Business and Trade as an export champion about my China journey and what I've learned. And I think, um, you know, that sort of cultural fluency and be able to understand, you know, sort of a different way of doing things, a different way of thinking, um, but somehow navigate towards shared success, a shared view of what success looks like mm-hmm. and actually uh, work in partnership in the long term. Uh, is hugely rewarding. And so, yeah, I'm really, really excited about what, what the next six months bring. We've got our certificate now, we've got the license to, to sell our product in China, and we've got the first projects coming down the track. So that, that's hugely exciting. Yeah. Fantastic. And, and just going back to what you were saying about the, the cultural differences, I suppose it's an alternate application of that situational leadership that we spoke about previously. It's a, a similar application, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, yes, it is. And um, so those sort of skills, that learning of mm. situational leadership, flexing your style, adapting, listen more than talk, so yep. sort of read the situation, is is very important. And I think, again, um, it's sort of a rule of thumb. It's not, not, not science, but a rule of thumb is the further east you go and sometimes the further south you go, cultures tend to become higher context. Okay. Um, more nuanced, um, much more relationship-driven, um, much more emotionally driven. And um, at one extreme, you've probably got the USA and South Africa and the Netherlands. And at the other extreme, you've got Japan. And not far away from Japan, you've probably got China, not geographically, mm-hmm. culturally. Mm-hmm. So that high context, um, and, and you've probably at least heard, if not experienced, some of those things, some of those facets around not losing face, actually giving face. Yes. Honouring commitments, uh, long-term, not short-term view. Mm-hmm. Um, being flexible, being humble. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, nobody likes to show off. They don't, certainly don't in China. No. Um, so being humble, not. being maybe a little bit more reserved than you're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but importantly, not just reading the room, reading the air. And that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? So that's reading what is not said. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So yes, it's highly, it's highly, yeah, the culture, cultural aspect is highly contextual. And I think that cultural fluency only comes 
by spending time in market, spending yeah. time with those nationals, whichever market it may be. So that investment is also another nuance of that particular, we're doing business in that part of the world in East Asia is you need to invest time. Mm-hmm. You can't send one of your managers that's seen as disrespectful. If, yeah. you're, if you're the leader, you need to go and meet their leader and show that you're investing in the relationship. Yeah. And, and there's a phrase I heard very early on in, in, in a previous strategic partnership in China, which was tremendously successful. Uh, and that was um, very early on in the relationship. Uh, the, 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 the chairman, um, a chap called Mr. Lee, who I'm still in contact with, he said, you do realise, Keith, we're looking for a marriage, not an affair. <laughs> <laughs> so not transactional at all this yeah. is like long term it's strategic it's a solid uh, trust trusted con- um, collaboration and commitment commitment's the important phrase yeah yes and, and, and if and, and some of these some of these there's lots of examples where you know businesses have partnered with Chinese businesses for, for mutual success both in China and actually reciprocal maybe in the UK as well mm-hmm. where it, it can last for years and deliver huge value but it need, you need to see it as a long-term thing. Yes, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I, I spent my early years sort of backpacking solo around the world and ended up living in Japan for, a, wow. for 12 months. And I think whilst my parents obviously had an opinion of that because it was, it was, it was post-university, it was well post-university, mm. but I think the thing that that taught me the most was people. And when you think about that, that international context, everything that you've just said about the things that you learn, dealing with China, dealing with those other uh cultures and other organizations within those cultures you can take that experience back into your own organization and with the people that you're working with in the uk you understand what's you know to listen to what's not been said as well as what's been said so you can apply the lessons that you learn by understanding yes. other cultures to understanding other people and then that, uh, that's how yeah. powerful i think that's a good observation you do you develop you re- you hone your skills mm. because you're outside of your normal frame of reference your normal yes. comfort zone and it does develop your skills uh, yeah. quite markedly i think yes and it's interesting as well there's a lot of discourse at the moment about sort of geopolitical dynamic uh, and i think again in fact i had this conversation with somebody this morning um and i think it's important to differentiate between the sort of you know, the states yeah? and mm-hmm. the dynamic and the discourse that goes on between them and the positioning and posturing sometimes, which yeah. isn't always helpful, mm-hmm. um, and actually people to people. So you know, businesses, wherever they're located, are trying to create value. They're trying, they're trying to have a sense of purpose. They're trying to do some good in the world, hopefully, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and bring their employees with them and help the employees to grow as the organisation grows. And actually, that's true wherever you go. And so if there's a market opportunity for your products, whatever those products may be, in China, mm-hmm. um, you know, people find a way. They will find a way to make it work if they can both create value from that relationship, yeah. regardless yeah. of whatever the geopolitical tension or, or, di- or dynamics might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know a few people have gone a bit cool on China and maybe think there are heightened risks. There aren't. Not in my experience, and I've been doing it a long time. Yeah. Well, the people are not the politics, and the politics are not the people, are they? Absolutely. Often. Yes. yes. Well said. Yes. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to, to watching your progress, but I've really enjoyed the conversation, Keith. So thank you so much for making the time. Yeah, me too, Amy. Yeah, no, I've enjoyed our discussion. Thank you. <laughs>